This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, podcast listeners. I'm Connor, and welcome to this week's episode of Intelligence Squared Business. Today, we're joined by Govan Balakrishnan, the co-founder and CEO of London-based audio journalism platform Curio. It is at the forefront of the audio revolution and is a premium audio platform which curates libraries of expert journalism for users in audio form. In this conversation, Govan speaks to Manveen Rana about how he started Curio and the wider revolution of audio in the economy from apps like Clubhouse to the growth of podcasting. It's a really fascinating conversation and I must say I do personally use Curio as well myself and it's worth checking out if you haven't seen it before. But now let's go to the episode. The quote by uh, Marshall McLuhan in which he says, you know, we drive into the future looking at the rearview mirror and that's what this is. People for a long time thought that audio is a subset of podcasting whereas actually podcasting is a subset of audio. Think of an app like Calm, which is audio, meditation, and you know, sleep stories. It's almost three times the size of the U.S. podcast market. Hello and welcome to this Intelligence Squared podcast with me, Manveen Rana, and I'm delighted to welcome our guest today, Gorvin Balakrishnan co-founder and CEO of the London-based audio journalism platform Curio, a premium platform which allows listeners to curate audio libraries of expert journalism, articles and analysis from outlets such as the Financial Times, The Economist, Bloomberg Businessweek and more are available in audio format on Curio's platform. So, Gorvin, welcome. It's an exciting time to be talking about audio, particularly on a podcast. So... Tell me a bit about your background and why you wanted to start Curio. First of all, I mean, you know, it's great to be here. Thank you so much for having me. So my own background is very much that I, I grew up in India and uh, I don't know if you know much about the situation, but in the 80s, the media landscape was like the Soviet Union. And in the 90s, it overnight flipped uh, to the American style 100 channels on TV. And I just saw the impact that media had on society. Right. So I always wanted to work in media. And to cut a long story short, the first chance I got, I came to the UK to study. And then the first chance I got, I joined the BBC in the strategy team. And, uh, and, and effectively, I saw the early days of video streaming. I, I wasn't responsible for it, but I saw the early days when the iPlayer consumed most of the UK's internet and all the internet service providers were, you know, knocking on the BBC's door saying you are killing the internet. So, and, and I also knew that, you know, it was early days of subscription because Netflix hadn't launched, but I had a conviction that the ad model couldn't sustain. And effectively, fast forward you know, another five years, and I started seeing similar trends in the audio space. Right. Uh, I started seeing, obviously, there was a huge 
you know, acceleration in podcast consumption, though that was there, the podcast market was tiny compared to traditional radio, right? So the consumption was there, but the monetization wasn't there. And I looked across the value chain and I thought, gosh, you know, there's a really big opportunity. And also my mom couldn't get on a podcast, but she could get on Netflix. And I thought, you know, we need to fix this. <laughs> well, tell me about your mom, because this, this was all a bit of a gamble. This is sort of a, a rapidly changing industry. You had a, a very good job as a consultant, but you, you, know, you gave it up to start up uh, a, a new company. And I, you're quoted in the Times as saying, your mother was an inspiration. Tell me about that. Yeah, my mother is more uh, the person I test products on. But but actually, my my own journey, Manmeen, it was like I said, right? I was I was doing strategy at the BBC, and and I saw early days of the iPlayer, and then not because of any great skill, but at a crucial point, I ended up leading strategy for BBC News. But effectively, I think it gave me two things. One was you know access to really see what you know BBC News is all about, right? You know globally. And also, you know, it sort of, I think, put my job in perspective because really for me, it was all about cost cutting, right? And I thought to myself, right, this doesn't square with what I want. I'm, I'm trying to, I, 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 <laughs> the slight dysfunction in, in, in my own sense of purpose and belief. Uh, and I thought, you know, that's what I want to do. But I knew that, you know, there was an opportunity to build the future of media, but I didn't really know how. So I actually, even the madness started even before I started Curio because I left the BBC and I went to, design school. I went to the Royal College of Art for two years. Uh, my wife was very patient. And the real reason for that, you know, Manveen, was really that I think we live in an age where a product that probably about 20 people design changes the world, right? Apple has 20 industrial designers and, and everyone pretty much owns an iPhone. For me, it just gave me a, a sense of perspective in terms of the power of design, So, which is after which I started Curio, right? So for me, it was really that uh, I came to Curio less as I had, I had a high degree of conviction when I came into Curio that audio was going to be very big. Uh, it's a different matter that investors didn't, but uh, I did. Uh, <laughs> and how much of an inspiration was your mother? I understand she sort of encouraged you to, to set up the business so that you had no regrets, I suppose. Yeah, so it, it takes, uh, I mean, it takes a certain degree of madness in your, in your early 30s, right, uh, to quit a proper job where uh, you, you wear a suit and look important. And then go off to design school, which frankly was all about, you know, you'd end up in places like East Acton looking for pieces of wood or aluminium, right, to make stuff. And it's it's a really weird experience, right, because one day you're wearing a suit and important. Your mother encouraged this? <laughs> Yeah, and my mother encouraged this, uh, and uh, thankfully, thankfully, I, I there was a moment when I I might have even needed her money, but uh, thankfully that didn't come by. But uh, but she was all through, you know, supportive of that. And tell me about the process of setting up Curio. What 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 is it that you wanted the platform to do? What was the sort of the gap in the market you were trying to address? So effectively, uh, Manveen, I think in hindsight I can say that you know if YouTube existed, there's an opportunity for Netflix to exist. And uh, the other thing I felt was that I think one of my big thesis was that content creators need to be rewarded for the content that they produce, right? And I didn't want a product that just ordered everything by recency, right? The whole internet, you know, new stuff up ahead. And and finally, right, I thought for consumers, you know, if, if you ask our grandparents, time was not a big currency. You had a lot of time, right? But today, time is a currency and audio is the perfect medium to complement lifestyles and by some accounts people multitask for seven hours a day 
right? And if you're multitasking for seven hours a day, you're not staring at screens for seven hours, right? So it's, it's a real opportunity to make, you know, people wiser, more empathetic, fulfilled through great audio. And that was really all it was. Right? It was a you know, dinky little idea saying, okay, you know, why can't we, you know, audio is going to be big. Why don't we build something that's a really great product that complements really great content and content producers are rewarded. And we charge people through subscriptions. So only there's only one, you know, person we serve, which is the consumer. And that is how it started. Yeah, there was something about network news, which sort of, as a journalist anyway, gave you like the tyranny of the three minute piece. <laughs> you couldn't go over because there was an assumption that audiences, you know, had a, had a shorter attention span. Has that changed now? You know, is there is there just a thirst for, for more information? So I suppose, you know, the BBC, it's probably the premier news gathering operation in the world, right? And not just that, but you know, with correspondence everywhere. And one of the things, one of the bits of analysis I was doing in my role as, you know, as a strategist for BBC News was just to try and get a sense of the, the cost of, of news gathering versus the engagement, right? And, and the thing that I struck me was uh, this particular instance where someone had been sent into an off forward operating base, I think in Afghanistan, right? And the story cost a couple of, you know, tens and thousands of pounds, Right. But it got a couple of minutes of engagement at best on the BBC website. So for me, this was a question about, is there something wrong with the content, which I firmly believe is not the case? Uh, or was it that actually the, 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 the experience around the content and the way the content was delivered and, uh, and, and sort of positioned, there was a problem there or there was an opportunity there? And I sort of bet on the latter. Right. And that is where, you know, the whole ethos around Curio is that it's great content meets a great product. And that was very, very core to us. And we don't want to let, you know, great piece of journalism like that just, just fade away. Well, tell me about why, why it seems so promising. You know, you talked about sort of our lifestyles now and how audio fits into them. Why, why has there been this sort of resurgence of interest in audio? Yeah, so it's really fascinating, um, I mean, because I think a couple of things, right? Uh, and, you know, sort of probably about three forces that one can talk about. One is, of course, that I think, you know, people realize that, you know, I think in the old world, you went to university, you got a degree, and then you got a proper job and then carried on with life. But I think now the world is changing at a pace where people really, you know, self-improvement is a big, big angle that people, not, not just self-improvement in terms of, you know, how do I make money, but actually self-improvement in terms of understanding the world, the world is more complex, you know, there are more issues and stories. So that's definitely one. The second is that there are sort of AirPods and devices, right? You know, they have really sort of accelerated this. Uh, there was a stat that said in 2019, Apple made more revenues out of AirPods than Snap, Spotify, Twitter, and Shopify combined. So, <laughs> so, so you realize the power of this, right? And, and the third is, I think, put these two together and, uh, and people are willing to pay, right? People, people are, I think the, the whole sort of, give it away for free and people pay for ads. So people are willing to pay if there's audio value. And here is another one, which is, you know, in China, apparently, you know, the podcast subscription audio market, not even podcast, it's subscription audio market, something like, you know, 10 times larger than the US podcast market. Really? Yeah. Why, why is that? It's aspirational, I think. In my view, it's, it's largely led by, you know, self-development, education, mm. and it, people are aspirational and hungry, right? If you're able to create a great experience around the around the content. I think that's what it is. And I think there's a, there's a quote by a computer scientist, which Apple sort of absorbed, which was those who are serious about hardware, uh, about software, make their own hardware, right? So for us, it's about those who are serious about content, make their own experiences. And that's the... I mean, it's really interesting that you sort of talk about 
people wanting self-improvement and, you know, you wanting to make people feel wiser having consumed your, your content. And, you know, podcasts are very much on the rise. You know, I, I present a daily news one, but there are podcasts for everything now, whether it's gardening or sewing and apps like yours, like Curio and Clubhouse. Is there something specific about audio which allows you to sort of consume that content in a different way? Do you sort of take it in differently to, to compare to reading it, for example? Yeah, uh, I mean, there are studies uh, that prove, you know, b- prove both ways, right? You know, <laughs> the audio is better and audio is worse. So, but I think, I think that... The <laughs> <laughs> There's always a study for everything. <laughs> exactly, right? You know, whatever is true, the opposite is true as well. Uh, no, but the thing with audio that is that I think contrasting it with the visual medium, right? I think, I think we are A, oversaturated. And B, I think the fact that we don't realize, but we are always making micro choices, right? This tab or that tab or this article, this hyperlink. I remember there was a book uh, that came out about uh, by Nicholas Carr, which said, you know, people comprehend less if you have hyperlinks because you're always choosing. I think for us, it was really that, you know, audio is, you know, it, it gives space for a story and you'll know this, right? You know, it gives space for a story. It is, you know, some stories are, you know, they are sequential. It's a sequential medium, but that's its strength as well. And I think there's a sense of intimacy, you know, frankly, you know, something that's you know, intermediated through text doesn't offer. And frankly, right, it's, I think the other thing is, you know, we do lead, we, we all lead exciting lives, but large parts of our lives are drudgery, right? You know, you're washing dishes, you're walking around, you know, you're sort of, you know, standing wherever you are. But, and, and those moments, right, there's an opportunity to enliven them. And it's something what we call smart escape, right? You, you don't want to be there, but you don't want to have something vacuous. And there's a real opportunity and audio does that. That's so interesting. And you're right. I think we have much less, far less patience now for moments when we're not doing something, when we're not sort of busy or being, um, you know, somehow entertained. And, you know, so with, with our podcast, we actually launched just as lockdown was kicking off and for us we'd always assumed that the podcast audio market was all about commutes and suddenly nobody was commuting but it's it's really interesting the way it's sort of become a part of everyone's daily life in terms of walks because you just want company it's exactly what you were saying about the intimacy I think and for you you know as you said the market is very saturated so what were you trying to do with Curio which sort of you know curates that a bit so for us there were a couple of things you know we we genuinely wanted to create a low cognitive load experience Right where uh, we have, we you know, people have enough choice, but are not flummoxed with choice. And really, that you know, you're you if you add up all the sort of the interstitial time that one has in the day, you're able to actually create something meaningful out of it. So, so for us, it was really that as long as we are helping people, as we say, understand the world, we are helping them improve their lives, and we're helping them escape in a smart way. That was really the thesis here. And I would say that when we started Curio, everybody told me nobody's going to listen to any of this because all these podcasts exist for, exist for free. Why would they come to Curio, let alone pay, right? And the thing that we've seen, Manmeen, is that people on average, you know, particularly, you know, the more seasoned listeners are listening for about 45 minutes per session on Curio, which is a lot of time, right? They come back, they come back frequently, right? Our subscribers have pretty much, you know, sort of tripled in the last couple of years, and and actually, and this was the other thing, which is people said it's a young, you know, people said it'll be an old person's product and, you know, young people will not listen at all, which, you know, obviously we have older listeners, but the the heartland is actually, you know, 25 to 34 year olds who are quite international. About 40% of them are outside the UK and the Western markets. And it's more women. And, and to sort of tell us a bit about how it works. I mean, um, how do you curate 
the the pieces that get narrated on onto Curio. Who decides what sort of you know what's going to be of interest? So it's it's a great question right? because each of these publications and our partners produce probably a book's worth of content every day, right? Yeah. And <laughs> and uh, so for us, uh, I mean, one of the things we don't do is daily news is breaking news, right? Because going back to where we started this conversation, our thesis was we need, you know, there's a lot of really high value journalism that's just you know, sitting there and which often a lot of it is timeless. So, so really that's one thing we don't do, which is daily news. If you wanted, we would do it separately, but at the moment we don't, right? But what we do is, you know, look across the publishers, go back to those three sort of jobs that people want, right? Which is people want to understand the world, so people don't want to know the price of Bitcoin, but they want to know, is Bitcoins a new thing or have we seen this before, right? And, you know, something from Gillian Tett, which talks about how, you know, people in the, in Easter Island used uh, limestone slabs, which is exactly the same concept as Bitcoin. It's kind of interesting, right? Because it offers perspective. The second is self-development, which is, you know, what can one learn from from war or what can one learn from you know, the Stoics, whatever that one is. And the third is uh, Smart Escape, right? Which is, you know, take a publication like Wired, mm-hmm. which has an in-depth feature on, I don't know, a hacker who who sort of stops the biggest hack in the world, but actually has a murky past. So it's sort of, what it does is it go, does these three things. It helps people understand the world, self-improvement and Smart Escape. And Initially, we would do this through heuristics, right? We would just do it ourselves. I did it myself. My co-founder did it. Really? But over time, yeah, 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 it's pretty, it's pretty basic at one level. Um, but uh, but then over time, what we re- realized, Manmi, is we got so much data now, right? We we get, we get you know millions and millions of data points every single day, every single minute that we are able to sort of channel it. But we never let that drive the choosing. It helps us whittle down from a thousand pieces to 50 pieces. And then we have editors who look at them. Wow. And do you sort of have to be very particular about the publications you choose to to publish? Has there been a lot of thought about who would be a a good partner? Yeah, uh, uh, for us, it really comes down to, you know, as long as it's, it's reputable and trusted, right? Those are those are the big things. Mm. They don't necessarily have to be large. Right. And I think that's that's one of the things which is obviously we partner with you know, the likes of, you know, the Wall Street Journal and the Financial Times and The Economist and all of them, which is amazing. But we also look for, you know, specialists, uh, people who do science, you know, Scientific American or people who do, you know, philosophy and stuff like that, which is publications like E.ON or even Wired, which is, you know, technology. So, and we sometimes collaborate with individual journalists as well, right? Um, so we produce a recent piece, which actually with a, with a journalist called Guy Lawson, which was actually the piece that, you know, went on to become the film. What's it? I forget the name. Uh-huh. It'll, it'll come back to me. But but it was it was about, you know, these two kids who sold arms to the U.S. government. And it was in Rolling Stone magazine. And we produced that into a really beautiful audio piece. So we collaborate with anybody as long as it's trusted, engaging. That's it. And do you do you have to worry about fake news, for example, as as a problem? And is there something about audio which allows you to tackle it in a in a slightly different way than than print does? Yeah, uh, it, it it is an interesting piece because it, it's not. I mean, in as much as people like to think audio is snackable, it's not. The, probably the quantum of snackable is probably a couple of minutes. So it is it is very. It's 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 much harder to tweet something or you know sort of visually grabbing or alter an image and things like that, right? But to be honest, what we say is it's almost triple distilled, right? It's, uh, you know, you have, you know, obviously the publications, the journalists in the publications, and then we have our own editors. We don't, 
you know, sort of expound a particular political point of view or anything like that. As long as it's empathetic, it's a good argument and it's not a rant thing, right? That's mm. how, that's absolutely what it is. I mean, that's interesting. Do you sort of steer clear of anything which would be particularly polarizing? You know, that's something you get so much on social media. Is that something you're trying to avoid with with Curio? Yeah, uh, completely, Manveen. You know, we, this is this is not. I mean, I, I think I think we dev- generally want this to be uh, a safe space, a trusted space, right? And and I would like to think that you know the reason why someone may not choose a piece is not because of an, a, a political point of view or anything that's put out there, but actually that it's. Perhaps a topic that I'm not interested in. Probably I'm not interested in Bitcoin, and that's fine, no problem. Mm. But it's it is a great listen, and that's that's the that's part of the appeal. And how does it work? Because, because so you know, a lot of the publishers who you work with are you know they're premium brands. They have a paywall, but now they're sort of putting out articles on on the Curio platform. And um, what was that conversation like? I mean, they are sort of giving up some of their. Uh, you know, potential income stream by by letting you publish these on, on your app. It's a. I wouldn't say it's been a, a, an easy journey, right? We started with you know, certain smaller publications, and some of them, you know, really sort of saw the opportunity. Mm-hmm. I think. I think where it comes down to is right. We succeed if our partners succeed, right? And I think the way to think of this is is less about a zero sum game, right? But more about a co-production model, which often exists in in, in TV, right, um, or in film production. And to be honest, publishers get three things in some in varying order, depending on the publication themselves, which is reach, which is reach a different audience. So as I said, you know, our audience is pretty global. It's young, more women. It's, you know, that that's, you know, not that's perhaps not the heartland audience of some publications. So that's point number one. This engagement, which is, uh, you know, if you look at average session times of any publication, right, it's probably not not because of anything, but it's, it's a couple of minutes because that's the visual medium, right? Whereas in audio, you're able to prolong that 10x, yes. right? And then, of course, you know, finally, as we've started growing uh, Manmeen revenues, right? So, uh, so the, some combination of these three is what keeps the partnership going. The other thing to say is, right, we don't produce the whole publication right we obviously you know produce a very curated selection so it's it, so we and we do everything in our powers to direct traffic back to the publication as well and tell me a bit about your business model you know you, you recently sort of um, announced uh, a major boost in funding nine million dollars um, and you've been named app of the year by google how does your business model work it is a bit disorienting i've got to say Manmeen, because we, you know, just, I'll just talk about the funding and the business model, which is the funding was and something you mentioned earlier, which is it's so early in the audio space, you know. And I think people for a long time thought that audio is a subset of podcasting, whereas actually podcasting is actually a subset of audio because, you know, you think of an, an app like Calm, right, which is audio, meditation and you know, sleep stories. It's almost three times the size of the U.S. podcast market. Wow. Right. So the, Calm has a valuation of two billion dollars. Right. And the U.S. podcast market today is about 800 million. Right. So, so the problem was we didn't have the vocabulary to talk like this four years ago. Right. So it was a real slog, you know, to get the funding and, you know, to prove the model and all that. But the business model itself, pretty simple. Right. We, you know, we charge subscriptions and that's really it. Right. And and, and we, we sort of, you know, obviously we, we acquire uh, subscribers and uh, and, you know, people pay for an annual subscription or they pay for a monthly subscription and then you know we there's nothing else right we you know we we sort of obviously work with the partners there's the, you know 
the, the relationships are, are different with each one of them. And, and obviously, we pay for you know any production. We pay for voice actors. We pre, we pay we pay for the you know journalists. All of that. So that's great. And uh, and it's that's it. It's as simple as that. It's amazing to have cracked it. It's not an easy market. Um, I mean, given that print seems to be declining um, across the board, is this the future? You know, did did you pick <laughs> did you pick right when you sort of thought audio? This is where it's all heading. I mean, I, I you know I think I mean in a way I think print in decline is also I think it it, it depends on the segment, right? It I, th- I think as long as you are able to you know create a really valuable product even in print it it it, it is going to it's not going to go away right you know we, we we do spend a lot of our times looking at you know with sight so i think the two things that are happening in the audio space which is interesting right and it's a, sort of a story of two two things one is uh, there was a there was a quote by uh, a guy called jim bexdale i think who said there are only two ways to make money in media right it's either bundling or unbundling right so so i think i think now in the in the traditional podcast space we are going through the bundling you know which is spotify is bundling apple wants podcast subscriptions they are a spotify acquired megaphone it's it's a, it's a, it's sort of a story of bundling right everybody is sort of trying to grab all the properties on the other side there's what we call the cambrian explosion right which is complete experimentation you know it's a moment in time when you know mm. Clubhouse is there, Curio is there, AirPods are coming in, spatial audio, conversational interactions, all of that, right? And and frankly, all of that is just still, you know, it's not gone out to the rest of the world, right? It's still very much, you know, sort of in the more mature markets. So for us, we see ourselves operating in that Cambrian revolution. Uh, we've almost sort of set the podcast thing aside because, you know, it's, it's, it's a case of consolidation. But do you think given how much people seem to want to consume articles as an audio piece now, um, you know, will you find more journalism moving straight to audio or will it always just be sort of supplemental to uh, a paper publication? It's a good question. I, for us, it's really that the... I mean, I, I genuinely see the relationship with journalism and with publishers as very much like a co-production model, right? So, so today it is articles, right? It makes sense. Today it is articles. But, you know, the best storytellers are with, with our partners, right? You know, they mm-hmm. contribute to the partners. And to be honest, right, in, 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 in as much as I love, you know, audio and podcasts, right, if someone from 1930 walked in and said, listen to a podcast, they would say it's a radio show. Whereas if someone looked at Twitter from 1930, they wouldn't understand what it is, right? So it's so there is that opportunity for innovation. So in a way, the future is much the future opportunity is much bigger than what we've seen in the past, right? So, so there is so much to co-produce and explore together. And, and, and that, is the, that is the thrust of this whole thing. So audio articles, journalism, I think they form a core pillar of what we do. But I think the opportunity wider is, is you know, sort of exponentially bigger. I mean, I just wondered if, you know, if video killed the radio star, whether this was the revenge of audio <laughs> instead of taking over. <laughs> it could be. It, it's it's sort of, uh, uh, there's a quote by uh, Marshall McLuhan in which he says, you know, we walk into the future looking at the rearview mirror or we drive into the future looking at the rearview mirror. And that's what this is. <laughs> Such a great line. And and the perfect place to, to end this discussion. But thank you so much for, for talking about the future. Um, it's been a real joy. Thanks, Corvin. And thanks to everybody listening. I'm Manveen Rana and you've been listening to Intelligence Squared. Thank you, Manveen.